Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca. And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decide to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies. A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them. As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games. Many of the movies we watch are unrated, but this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences, so take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen. We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. How many times have I stood before the symbol of my family's greatness? And now, with this crest and I, are dying together. At another time and another place, I might have brought honor and glory to the house of heaven. But instead, I shall leave a legacy of decay and unspeakable horror. Welcome to another episode of 50 Date Night Screams. This is episode 11, The Dungeons of Harrow. I think it might be The Dungeon of Harrow. Dungeons? I, is Dungeons? it Dungeon of Horror? I don't, I'm not, I guess it's old timey horror. I don't know. It's it's bad. And welcome to my co-host, Mike. How are you, Mike? Hello, love of my life. I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm not too bad. I'm just now realizing that I don't know if this is Dungeons or Dungeon. I think this also had some other names, this movie, but I kind of don't feel like getting into that. So, so Dungeons and Harrows, Harrows and Dungeons. It's a harrowing dungeon. All right. Our movie for this episode, number 11, The Dungeon of Harrow, and it is from 1962. It is in color. The director is Pat Boyette, it has a 3.4 out of 10 on oh IMDb. Boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's pretty bad for IMDb. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the movies that we're going over are in the 4 range. Yeah. So being in the 3 range. Not great. All right. Well, we'll get to that. All right. It is 1 hour and 26 minutes. And we have to point out about the director. You may know more about the director than I do. Pat Boyette, who is also the co-creator of the original Peacemaker. And I read he was the artist who drew Howard the Duck. That's right. That's all I know. Do you have anything else on him? He also scored the film with public domain music. And uh, he drew you, the film. Can you poster. call it score? Like I read that, but can you call it? I scored the film if you just used somebody else's music. Are you actually scoring the film? Like, what does that mean? I need a ruling on that. I I think it means more than just taking, copying, and pasting it into the film, but probably not a lot more. But I, I mean, the there was editing there because he matched up. For instance, when something dramatic happened, there would be a swell in the music, etc. But mm-hmm. there were also points where the music didn't make any sense at all. So yeah, and um, he also drew Howard the Duck. Did you say that? Yeah, he yeah, drew. Howard yeah, the Duck. he drew Howard the Duck. It didn't say that he created Howard the Duck. He just drew it, right? Yeah. And um, 
there's definitely a comic feel to like just the whole staging and framing of a lot of this stuff too. So I'm curious if there's a little bit of a, there's not a little bit, it's a large amount of comic influence in sort of how the film was produced. Not for the better, by the way, but. (laughs) I don't know if he made other movies before or after this one, but he gave up on the movie making and just went into comics. And so he's probably better known there. I'm not a big comic person aficionado and certainly not comics from the 60s so i really have no frame of reference yeah and he's sort of more belonging to the underground so this is not necessarily the superhero mainstream although i guess peacemakers in there but um it's more the underground comics uh which is a different vibe for sure all right so here is a very brief brief summary because we have so much to get to (laughs) so we're just gonna make this quick summary of the dungeon of harrow an evil sadistic count lives in a waterfront castle with his insane family members. One day, the survivor of a shipwreck washes ashore near the castle and finds himself a captive there. That's a terrible description. It really (laughs) does not. Plurals are there that don't belong there. Family members. There's a couple of things that just weren't right. But you know what? It doesn't matter. (laughs) It It doesn't doesn't matter. matter. Let's get into it. All right. We should also mention a lot of the actors in this movie... I guess were stage actors. And here's the thing about IMDb is that it doesn't address that. So you look at these actors and it looks like this was the only thing that they ever did or one of very few things that they ever did. But if they were stage actors, it's not on there. So it never occurred to me before that that this would happen, that somebody would cast a lot of stage actors in a movie and then if they didn't really work in movies that wasn't their primary thing, then you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have a frame of reference to place them with other things that they did. But there is one actor who was a late night TV horror show host. I didn't recognize him at all. His name is Joe Alston. He has a very brief part, which honestly didn't even really need to be in the movie um, because he plays like a, a, a spirit or a figment of the Count's imagination. But apparently um, that dude was uh, somewhat famous because he hosted late night horror movies. And he did the most and probably best acting in the whole film. So that's, that explains things. Accurate. (laughs) Accurate. All right. The movie does start out on a ship. I, (laughs) a ship. ship. We're already laughing. A toy boat? Well, all right. So they used some models. It was clear that they used models. I have an appreciation for it because it was like, oh, look at the cute little boat. You know, oh, look at the cute little castle. Like, I could tell they tried. Like, it wasn't like there was a dude, like, holding the boat or whatever. Like, the boat was in water. It looked, you know, they were blowing a blow dry on or something. I have no idea. But, uh, you know. It's a, it's a, uh, a PA going, just blowing air behind the, the sails, maybe. Yeah, right, I don't know. right. I mean, there was a couple of touches like that, that like, you know, the torches moved with the wind and stuff like that, that I was like, okay, like they tried. Like I have yeah. an appreciation for this. But a lot of other people that have reviewed this movie and people who even love this movie will make fun of the models. So they were cute. I was actually pretty impressed with the way that the scene on the boat, it's so short, it's not really important at all. They could have just washed up on the shore. Like, they didn't even really need to show this ship and that they were on this ship. But it looked like the room, the ship, it was actually moving. So I did wonder, 
upon my second viewing, like how they did that. I can guess that they probably built it. And then there was two PAs standing on either end of it, like shaking it. But they weren't doing the Star Trek, you know, everybody, everybody go to the left. Everybody go to the right. They weren't doing that. The room was actually moving. Yeah. Yeah. To show that they were in a storm. The ship crashes and then we go to the toy boat ship and I don't know. That's very cute. So there are a lot of people on this boat. You see them, they're screaming and whatnot, but only two people end up washed up on this island. And that is the captain, who never gets a name. He's just the captain through the whole movie. And Aaron Fallon, who is some kind of hoity-toity rich person. I don't know if he has a title. They don't ever, he doesn't have a title, not like the Count or anything like that. So, but he's apparently, he owned the ship and he was in in command of everybody, including the captain, which is not how that usually goes. So him and the captain wash up on shore and have to make the best of it. And right away you get the feeling, well, you don't get the feeling. Aaron Fallon shows you that he's a dick. One of the first things that he says to the captain is like, tomorrow you're going to find me some meat because I like meat. I don't like no fish. It's like they're on a fucking island. <laughs> I love how at one point he's like, I'm an asshole, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> and the captain's like, ah, you know, I'm not one to judge. Yeah, we're here out. The- but I did love, like, there was a moment of self-awareness where Fallon was like, you probably don't like me very much. And he's like, you know, I can take you or leave you. Might not be any bandwidth, Mr. Fallon, but... Tonight it'll seem like one. I'm not overly fond of fish, Captain. Tomorrow, see if you can find some game. I much prefer meat. Uh, but there is really three survivors from the from the boat, technically. Yes, yes, we think that there's two. There is three because then we also see the count, and the count and his servant who is referred to as a slave at some point it's very awful but uh the dogs got out he says the dogs got out which look like two people's pets on a leash at one point we do finally see them we don't see them right away because there's a lot of talking about them and there's like a weird flashback where mantis who is his his minion person it has the dogs on a leash so you do get to see them and it looks like just Two regular, are they like mastiffs or anything? Just like two regular dogs. I don't know. They just like they just look like nice little neighborhood right. dogs. I right. don't even understand. The first body is she was a passenger on the ship, and the captain and Pharaoh find her body, and it's pretty bloody. She's all bloodied. She was clearly attacked and eaten by wild dogs. You know, so um, not great for her. We don't know where all the other people that were on the ship are presumably drowned didn't wash up so the body count is already i guess pretty high but the passenger whose body they find kind of just like laying there all bloodied is is the is the first body that that we see yeah that's not great anyway (laughs) (laughs) and they don't do it the other thing is that they don't do anything about it they're just like oh no yeah there's not like a bear. I don't think they even deal with the corpse. Frankly. No, they don't. They, they don't like, do. Nobody does. Nobody does anything with the corpse. Too bad. I have, no, I have no idea what happens to the corpse. All right. So anyway, it's so it's wild. 
All right, so they find this castle, because, of course, it's a castle. It can't just be, like, a house or a so manor. Only a model. <laughs> what? It's only a model. It's only a model. It was, yeah. At some, some points, it was a model. Who is in the castle? In the castle is Count Lorente de Sade. And his name threw me because, of course, who do you think of? Think of Marquis de Sade, right? right? You know, so I really don't know why you would go there. I don't know why you would do... Count Lorento de Sade. You could have chosen any other freaking name. Oh, you know why? Because they want it. I mean, it's the same reason there's a quote from Bloody Pit of Horror. Yeah. Because they quote it and then it has nothing to do with anything. It, it's it's sort of guaranteed horror cachet, right? If you say it, you say de Sade, people are like, ooh, it's kinky and it's violent. Everything you could want from a schlock horror movie. I never read any of the Marquis de Sade, but I had a good friend who did and would relate it to me and gross. Yeah. Just gross. Like not even, I don't know. I don't want to kink shame anybody, but like definitely, you know, infamous, I guess is, is the word that I would use for him. So I don't know why everybody's got to like bring it up. I guess it's just the, you know, the titillating nature of it. But I think, a lot of people don't actually know what he wrote about. Right. Exactly. So, because if you did, you would be like, yeah, okay, no. All right. So, living in this castle is the Count, is Cassandra, a young woman, and Mantis, who is a African man, is described as a slave, that the Count... Must have met, they said that he used to hunt. He was a great hunter. Must have met him somewhere in Africa. And now he he keeps Mantis there with him and orders him around. And that is disgusting. Okay. So you get the impression that the count, something's wrong with the count. He has a hallucination. That's where this other man, the spirit, comes in. And well, they have a conversation. He has a couple things. So there's another woman. Right, so you Cassandra and, and Anne. Again. Yeah, so there's another woman. But the most important thing about this is he says there's no women on the island. That's the first thing he says when they're like, there was a woman screaming and we found the, you know, her body. And he's like, that's weird. There's no women here. <laughs> and you're like, is he disassociating? Is he flat out lying? We don't know. But somebody either changed the script or the Count doesn't know that there are women <laughs> who live in the castle. And he's got a history with them. He's not like, these are new people. They are clearly been there for a while. There's history. And he denied they existed. Right. Yeah. And so, then they show up. So that there's he's easily proven wrong right. in the next scene. Right. There are three women on the island. In the beginning, you just think that it is, it is the Count and it is Mantis. And... They immediately imprison the captain because they think he's a pirate and pirates are bad. And why is he so upset about pirates anyway and worried about that? So they're torturing the captain. They have him like literally in a dungeon on a rack torturing him. And Aaron Fallon is like, this isn't cool. And they're like, too bad. And then they're, you know, lying to him about where the captain is. And then they invite him to dinner. And that's when we meet Cassandra, who is clearly a woman, clearly on the island. And they have a very weird dinner together. And then they try to show 
uh, Mr. Fallon to his room. And then Cassandra starts to sort of let a little bit slip about the count's not right. He was married. Him and his wife lived here because they were cast out of society. And she's very dramatic about it. But she doesn't explain any of that. So they bring and that, you know, Fallon is like, yeah, but where's the captain at? Cassandra's like, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine. Like, we gave him some pain medication or something, you know? Just, like, wild. As we go along, we find out that not only is there Cassandra on the island, there's also another woman. Her name is Anne. Anne doesn't speak because she was held hostage by pirates, and they said she was abused. You don't, they don't, we don't really get a good description of that, but I think we can all imagine what that might look like. And the Count actually calls her an imbecile, (laughs) I guess because she can't talk, you know, which that was something that people thought about people that couldn't speak, that they were dumb, which of course is not true. Well, and I I took it to be that the pirates cut her tongue out. Yeah, it's not described why she doesn't speak. She's also there serving the Count, like fetching his tea and doing whatever else. They don't ever really get into exactly what happened to her. I don't even think her and Cassandra have a conversation with one another. It's just, you know, the Count is just ordering everybody around and telling them what to do. Yeah, if, if there's a Bechdel test, it, she's fa- they're failing it. Yeah, 1,000%. 1,000%, you know. So Aaron Fallon hears a bunch of things. It's crazy. The place is, you know, clearly haunted. Something's going on. And finally, Cassandra spills the beans. There is another woman on the island. The Countess is still alive. They sort of keep up this fiction that the Countess had died and that he prefers to think of it that way. Because she's because the Countess is very ill, so she's being held also in the basement away from everybody. And Cassandra explains it using a portrait. So they're standing in front of this painting of the Countess. And it's kind of hilarious because Cassandra's like, this is the Countess and she became very ill. And Aaron Fallon says, well, there's no illness in the portrait. I'm like, well, (laughs) bro, it's not like a Polaroid. It's not a photo. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it was such a bizarre thing to say. And it was like, no, no, there's no illness. Not every illness shows up in a picture anyway. Like, What the hell? So, turns out that the Countess has leprosy. We actually don't call it that anymore. We call it Hansen's disease. So, then it becomes clear, if you know a little bit about Hansen's disease and the stigma that's associated with it, they would remove people uh, from society who had, uh, uh, you know, symptoms of, of Hansen's disease because it was thought to be really contagious, which it's not. So that explains why the Count brought the Countess there to that island. Cassandra was actually the nurse. You know, she says at one point, she's like, I don't know what I am anymore, but clearly she's still, somebody has to be taking care of the Countess, right? So she's still nursing her. And that's why they're all there. Anne ended up there because she was taken hostage by pirates and ended up on the island and um, left there. It's all (laughs) very complicated. Well... And the other thing, which it's so interesting, because there's a little bit like, okay, so there's mental illness 
on behalf of the countess, right? So that's part of it tied to leprosy is that she's reliving her wedding day. They keep saying that she relives her wedding day. And so therefore they're sort of humoring her. But there's definitely this one fact that can't be denied that they're not humoring her, which is her crypt is where they're keeping her. Okay. So I get on the one hand that maybe the count would like to pretend that she's dead. He knows she's not dead. He later talks about how she's not dead, but he prefers to pretend that she is. But they literally put her in her crypt. So you have to go down through her crypt to get to her. And she has a whole place down there. So somebody worked very hard to create a not great scenario for her beneath the castle. So it's interesting because there's all this talk of like, I don't know how we got here. And you're like, somebody did it on purpose. One does not dig a a burrow underneath a crypt, you know, and a tomb and hollow this out where she has a, a, you know, her own chambers and everything. So it's a little bit interesting because there's a there's a lot of sort of horror trappings. And it's really done, obviously, to just the shock value of of where she actually is. Right. And the shock value of, oh, my gosh, she's actually alive and everybody was lying to me. What a shock. And then things go wrong. Cassandra's like, I've had it with this shit. She tells Fallon, we need to get out of here. We need to kill the count and get out of here. And. All hell starts breaking loose. Well, one of the things that's interesting with Cassandra, too, is she has been instructed as an actress, apparently, to talk completely deadpan. Like, she literally sleepwalks through about 80% of this. And then she slowly sort of livens up a little bit, but she constantly talks like she's talking off in the distance or seeing something. I'm guessing it was supposed to represent trauma. Maybe it's supposed to be trauma. trauma. Yeah. You know. But it is a little bit like you're like, is there anything here? Because... What's interesting is there's more passion from Anne than Cassandra. Yeah. 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 Anne actually, and this is why it's just so bad. Anne actually throws herself at Fallon. She just bumps drops into something, something yeah. and manages to spill it. And that's death sentence, right? In yeah, the that sets of, off the count. The count. So there's definitely a whole like everybody has to be cool around the count. Like, Talk, don't talk, eat the food, don't eat the food, wait till he talk. You know, so there's a little bit of nobody knows what the rules are. Uh, but one of the rules is do not spill the food. So Anne is going to get whipped and Fallon says, no, no, it's not her fault. It's my fault or whatever. Like, don't don't take it out on her. Yeah. And then Anne's like, well, OK. <laughs> yeah. In the poster, that's Anne in the poster. She is. She never is in the pose that she's in in the poster in the movie. In the on the poster, she is uh, hung up by her wrists, which doesn't happen in the in the movie. So it's a little bit of it, it is interesting because she doesn't have any lines. <laughs> I, I mean, how horrible! Oh, let's cast a female character, and then like she doesn't even get to talk. I mean. Just like ridiculous. Just no, she doesn't ridiculous. get to talk, and and she she doesn't really get to exit the scene. No, <laughs> no, she is punished because she goes down and releases the captain because the captain is being tortured. And as somebody pointed out, Fallon basically is like, "Look, I I really appreciate this offer. I'm not going to take it up. But what you can do 
Yeah. Is find me that captain. Find and me the captain. Anne, who has been presumably terrified of the count, subjected to a lot of different horrible things, is this superhero and does all the work. As people have pointed out, Fallon doesn't really do anything. No. She Anne goes out hell bent on finding the captain. And not just that, she actually knocks out Mantis. Yeah. To yep. get to him. Yeah. She hits him with a two by four or something. <laughs> or something. <laughs> Yeah, because Mantis is watching over the captain. Anne comes down. She hits him with something, and Mantis goes out like a light. And then she rescues the captain. And somewhere in here, by the way, Mantis is showing remorse, which is an interesting character trait. There is a little bit because he, with somebody, I think it may be the captain, he gives him water. Yeah, he gives him water. And he loosens his restraints a little bit. Right. And that turns out to be his undoing later because the captain gets out because of that between exactly. Anne helping. Yeah. So, you know, Mantis actually has a little bit of character development. It's essentially implied that nobody's happy with the count. Like everybody there who lives there for good reason thinks that he's problem. And they're all sort of passive aggressively resisting in their own way, Mantis included. But Mantis also says point blank to the to I was at the pirate, to the captain, if I have to kill you, I will kill you. Yeah. Well, what a surprise. What a surprise. That's what happens. <laughs> so the second death of the movie is that Mantis throws a sword and like right into the captain's chest. And then the captain is dead. And then, of course, they string up poor Anne. They put her in the rack, subject her to this water torture. And it's so ridiculous, too, because the Count's like, oh, Anne, she's been through so much. And then, like, tortures her again. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's and just... then, and like, we forget about her. There's, like, no more mention of her. Nobody I mean, I didn't forget her. about her. I'm like, well, who's going to go back and save Anne? There was no thought, none, of Fallon or Cassandra to look for her. They just, and they're just like, oh, well, yeah, moving along. They're like, we got to get out of here. We got to kill the Count. We got to get out of here. What they're putting all their hopes on is that a supply ship is going to come. Cassandra doesn't even really know. She doesn't know how stuff gets to the island. Like, it's just bonkers. So she's like, I don't know. Eventually a ship is going to come. We're running low on a lot of stuff. I'm sure a ship is going to show up. So they're running around the island, running from the Count and running from Mantis. In the middle of the night, they're like crossing streams, trying to be like, we're going to get away from the dogs by going through a stream and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't work, of course, because the Count and mantis catch up to cassandra and fallon and and yes they're running around with no thought of Anne. they know that the captain is dead but no thought of Anne and of maybe doubling back and getting her or something and they don't even discuss it really so i don't know what their plan is of course the count and mantis catch up with fallon and cassandra mantis actually like refuses i think he like sits down and he's like i cannot move anymore like he's been hit over the head he was uh hurt in his fight with the captain he's not doing well and he's like bro i'm done you know and the count's like well then you're i'm finished with you and like gets out his rifle and just shoots him like shoots him right there on the beach kills him dead he's like i'm done with you it's oh it's awful it's so awful. The the all the characters are treated poorly, but especially Mantis and Anne are 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 treated just just horribly. I'm in your debt, your lordship. 
Please, sir. The Count will not tolerate conversation during repast. You may tell the Count he can damn well go to hell. All right. The Countess is not dead. So what happens is, is that the Count takes Fallon down into the crypt where the Countess is and shackles him to the wall. And then the Countess comes out and she comes out and then there's this reveal and she is clearly in the advanced stages of Hansen's disease. And so not only is she not doing well mentally, but physically she's, she's very bad off. And she believes that Fallon is her husband. She's kind of all over him and he can't move, you know, and it's so horrible that his hair turns gray. <laughs> and this, this scene, I have to, of all the, th the things in this movie, when she, her hand reaches for the door and he, and there's, he's narrating too, by the way, this incredible gothic dripping narrative from Fallon. By the way, that's the director narrating it. If oh, you didn't great. know, it's not oh. even the actor, it's the director. Yeah, well, that, that definitely makes it better. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so Fallon is narrating this where he's sort of hoping she won't find the latch. This leprous arm is reaching for things and he's like, oh, she, and then it, she does. And I thought that was really good. Like it was, the, he worked on this scene where she's the creeping dread. The other thing that sort of I didn't understand until later is if you believe leprosy is communicated by touch, this yes. is a death sentence, yes. essentially. So. Yes. What seems like a kind of hilarious, like, oh, no, what's she going to do? Give you a kiss? Like, oh, God, right. But really, yeah. this is really the idea that he's going to get infected and he cannot escape this sort of intimate embrace. And and this is where I say, like, I could see this as one of those creepy 1960s comics where it's all gore and all horror and the characters are over-emoting. Um, it just does not play well in film. But that narrative that our fearless director is is providing is very much trying to reinforce that, that this is horrible because he can't escape. And as you said, we thought she was dead. She's not dead. She's sort of in a fate worse than death. And theoretically she's passing this on. And, and this will matter later because it's almost unmentioned, right? Sort of, they kind of get a, escape. And then I guess Cassandra kills her. Cassa right? Yeah. Cassandra comes in and the countess is like, Oh, Cassandra like recognizes her and whatnot. And Cassandra just comes in just stabs her with a knife, kills her. Which she's is dead. funny, because then she's like, she wouldn't have lived without the Count. You're like, never mind Anne, who's tortured and could live without the Count. Yeah, yeah. But I had to yeah. put the, the Countess put out of her misery, yeah. I had to put yeah. her out of her misery. Yeah. And, I mean, on the one hand, it's like, I don't know, like, like they shouldn't have been keeping her down there anyway, like that. Like In her was, own crypt. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was awful. Like, it was awful what they did to her, and... Maybe it was a kindness in in the end, but I don't really know. That's not for me to say. But that she is the she's she's the fourth death in the movie. And the other thing that happens, which we we sort of glossed over a little bit, is there is definitely this attempt to sort of give us a perspective on the count's mental illness, right? So there's sort of implied history that something to do with a snake. The this other person who does not look like him in any way, shape, or form, but says he is part of the evil within him essentially argues that this sort of spirit character is haunting him and it represents his own mind, his own sort of suffering mind. So it's interesting. It's way too long. That's very early in the film yeah. where this sort of 
kind of character just comes in and is sort of like, yeah, and uh, cackling and rubber spiders come down and he's, yeah, you could see the just, strings, on yeah, the spiders and, um, the, and the bats and whatever it is. And he's never mentioned again. There's never nope. like that ever comes back. Go back. We don't see it again. It doesn't come. That up. guy filmed for like one morning. <laughs> He and got his, he got his sandwich, free sandwich. He got, <laughs> got a sandwich from craft services. And, uh, and he moved on. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting because there's definitely things that it feels like the movie was trying to work with and then just didn't know how to tie it. To. I mean, I, I, a lot of this felt like there just wasn't a good script writer, right? So it felt like the director was sort of had this vision, but there was nobody else helping. So you sort of got just what you got. And uh, this is what we got. Yeah. Lots well, of enthusiasm, not a lot of execution. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to put down anybody's script writing, but uh, there were things that could have been left out. It was bad enough that they were keeping the Countess down in this dungeon and just sort of, like, keeping her alive as she suffered there. Which, you know, this is a trope, right? This is something that totally. happens in a lot of movies and also books. You know, sometimes she's a wife, sometimes she has another relationship to one of the main characters, and that there's something wrong with her, and that they just, you know, lock her away somewhere. So, it's not a very thing. Edgar Allan Poe, trying to be Edgar Allan Poe, but not Edgar Allan Poe. And the reality, by the way, is we will be doing it, we'll actually cover a movie in this series about that's directly inspired by Edgar Allan Poe. So it's very Poe-esque, but it's super gothic, it's just trying really, really hard yeah. Uh, and not succeeding as much as it, it would hope. But yeah, so anyway, I just wanted to take a digression because before we get to sort of the escape, there were definitely a lot of dragged out sort of drama inside the castle about what's wrong with everybody. Yeah. And uh, and then they finally, I, I think to Cassandra's point, she's like, it doesn't really matter. We have a plan. We just, we have to leave. We just have to leave. Yeah. So the Count shoots Mantis and then he catches up with, Cassandra and Fallon, and then the Count and Fallon have a fight, and then Fallon shoots the Count. So, And near as we can tell, also the cameraman, because the camera shakes when that shot happens. It's oh. really quite shocking. Like, if you watched the way it was filmed, because you actually said something, you're like, oh my god, like, it looked like the gun went off, and the <laughs> camera shook, we were like, is everybody okay on set over there? It was kind of... Uh, shocking to see how that came out because it didn't it looked like somebody did not you know do this with the great the right special effects but i have a lot of grace for those type of things those errors that come along you know like seeing the strings on the bat as they lower it from the ceiling and stuff because i understand what they're doing and i understand the constraints but then i have a lot of respect for the things that they that they do well you know like the ship shaking actually the cabin that they were in actually shaking they come out into a passageway and cassandra is holding a torch because they just walk around this castle with big torches i kept waiting and, for somebody to set somebody else on fire you know what? You're always like, i don't even know how like how do you do like practically like forget that you're watching a movie okay like the actors have to walk around like with fire and i don't know <laughs> Like how how do you manage that on a set and filming and not set your your own hair on fire and then there's all these cobwebs everywhere on the set and how do you not set those on fire? That was my I, other favorite thing is there's cobwebs everywhere in this castle and yeah. places you're like it doesn't look like it should be cobwebs. No, <laughs> they're just webs. They're everywhere. just everywhere. They're just everywhere. And so anyway, so they they walk into this corridor and like you hear the wind, right? So you hear the wind and you see the torch 
as though there were a, a gust of wind that came along. So like little things like that, like I have a lot of respect for, like they, you know, they tried really hard, they did it well, you know, and then, and then some of the little things that maybe are not quite right, you know, like, like the blood is, I don't know, the blood is very pink in this movie to me. There was a lot of blood for yeah. the time that it was filmed in. And because they didn't really, really need to show, you could show the sword, matches throwing the sword, and then you could just show the captain on the ground, you know, but you actually see it. And then the woman in the beginning who was mauled by the dogs, she's very bloody. So, but the blood was definitely like, I don't know. I don't know where they got this blood. It was not good looking <laughs> blood. And Mantis is covered in blood after he gets shot. And he says, Count, I've done everything that you've asked of me. And I'm paraphrasing because I'm not going to remember it correctly, but... He says, Count, I've, I, I've done everything that you wanted me to do, including die. And it's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then he dies. And then he dies. It's just it's horrible. And nobody deals with the corpses or anything. No. You know, whatever. No, 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 no. no. Nope. So they go back to the castle. So the Count's dead now. Count's dead. Count's dead. Everybody's, Everybody's dead. dead. Everybody's Everybody, dead except the two of them. Except for Cassandra and Fallon are dead. They go back to the castle, and then you hear this narration again, and he's like, we we're waiting for a boat, waiting, 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 and it took And this a is year. A, actually a flashback. The movie's actually a flashback, right? So Fallon is narrating in front of his family crest, which is on this this banner or whatever. Yeah. And that's the only thing that survived from the boat. From um, the shipwreck. From the shipwreck. And I guess that's important. I, I'm not exactly sure what it is. I we think it's know. more probably to establish his royal credentials, right? The Count sort of indulges Fallon, presumably because of this evidence, that he's like, I guess he's a... He's some kind of like peer, right? There's a little bit of like, yeah, maybe we're missing something with that. Yeah. Maybe there's something uh, cultural that w we're not understanding. Well, I think there's implied certainly that the nobility is corrupt, right? So that's sort of implied. Yeah. Count is corrupt, and then Fallon is sort of you know between his interactions with the captain and then the the family crest, and he that's part of it. So he's looking at the family crest in a flashback, and then the whole movie's a flashback, right? right? So he's gray hair now. Right. And now we're sort of witnessing. I it's actually forgot later. that he went gray. So it's yeah. a year later. Yeah. It's a year later. And a ship does come and they send a dinghy to the island. And these dudes are getting off of the dinghy. And uh, Fallon is running out to them. And he's like, Cassandra, Cassandra. And she's not enthused. She's not excited about this for whatever reason. And he's like, what's the matter with you? You know, like, we're finally going to get out of here and whatever. And the the sailors see them and go, ah, leprosy. And they get back in their dinghy and go back to their ship, you know. <laughs> I don't think they yell out leprosy. I think that's the big reveal. Yeah. Because he's like, why the hell are they running why away? Why are they running away? And she's like, have you not noticed? Like maybe, and nobody explains it. I don't know if there's no mirrors or they just, but I, she implies, you know, we've been looking at each other for so long. You didn't notice didn't the notice slow, gradual, like we're turning yellow or whatever. Yeah. Her point was, it's obvious. It's obvious, it's obvious. that we are. If you look at we us, both, we both have leprosy. Have leprosy, you know? or at least she does. Was kind of struck me about that too is that the countess is clearly very ill. It is very advanced. I, I don't even know that a person could have it that advanced and still be alive. And that poor actress, who knows what she looks like, right? <laughs> she was just like in the in the makeup. But at the end with Cassandra and Fallon, like, I don't, I kept looking. I'm like, I don't really see, like, they didn't really do much to make them look as though they were 
uh, the effects of the disease were were affecting their skin. Yeah, so, and I think that was part of the reveal, right? Was that they don't seem bad, so you're a little bit like, can I not see something that they can yeah, see? Like, what is it? Because you're sort of seeing it from their perspective, where they're like, we're right. fine. Why is this a big right. deal? Yeah. So yeah, and so that's the, the so the the finale is that the curse essentially continues. Right. Uh, they're stuck in the same situation. And I think she goes, does she go back down to the crypt? Is that sort of the same? Do they end it that way? Yeah, because she she progresses uh, quicker than he does. And so she's back in the crypt too. Right. She becomes like the countess in the end. So, which, you know, kind of a little bit of a, I don't know, maybe not a twist ending, but not maybe not the ending that you would have expected. Yeah, I there's all these elements here that, conceptually sound like okay like i'm i'm on board with this horror but they just don't they just don't come together you know what i mean like that's the thing about it is that it's like as you're describing it yeah it sounds like an interesting story in a lot of different ways but it kind of went down some paths that didn't make a lot of sense and then Anne, by the way Anne's just dead she, yeah, you don't they, see her die. They mention it later. They're like, "Oh yeah, she died." Oh yeah, she died. <laughs> she died of the water torture and died on the way back to her home planet. At the end. <laughs> yeah, it was just like I I knew watching the movie that they were getting it wrong. Maybe they were using just the knowledge at the time, but Hans's disease is actually a bacterial infection. Okay, and it's caused by a bacteria called Mycobacteria. Leprae. So it doesn't spread easily. So Fallon spending, I don't know how long it could have been, a couple hours maybe, in close contact with the Countess would not have given him Hansen's disease. It wasn't even an hour if it was a minute. I mean, really, she well, comes we in. Well, we're not shown, like, we don't really know the passage of time. Yeah. His hair goes gray. So presumably he's down there for a little while with her. All right. So it doesn't spread easily. You actually have to be in contact with someone for months. So if Fallon had it, he could totally have given it to Cassandra, especially if they, you know, decided to have a sexual relationship or a, a close physical relationship. It makes sense that the Countess, I don't know how the Count didn't end up with Hansen's disease. Because it's caused by a bacteria, we have antibiotics. Treatment is effective. If you catch it early, they give you like a cocktail of a couple of different antibiotics. Now, if it doesn't get treated, which of course in the pre-antibiotic age would not have happened, it causes nerve damage. So that's extensive. You start to get paralysis in your hands and your feet. And because you're losing feeling in your extremities, people tend to damage them. So that's why, you know, um, I, I think in other depictions in other movies, you might see people who are missing uh, digits. And that could be because you don't feel it anymore and you may cut yourself and then it may get another infection and then, you know, it, it goes from there. So really, it's an awful, awful disease. And it's supposed to be the 1870s, by the way. That's right. That's supposed to when this film's taking place. Right, yeah. So, um, and also that's why the stigma, right? Because it is quite disfiguring. And people didn't understand it. Now, it's rare in the United States. Only about 150 people a year in the United States uh, have Hansen's disease. And usually these are folks that are coming from somewhere where it is more prevalent. So around the world, around 250,000 people a year 
uh, develop Hansen's disease. But there are uh, a few million people around the world who are living with the effects of Hansen's disease, that they might be disabled because of it. But here's the other thing. About 95% of people have natural immunity to the disease. So it's, it's really interesting to me for a lot of reasons that people know what leprosy is and they know about things like so-called leper colonies and stuff like that, but it's actually not easy to get. It's, it's not easy to pass from person to person. And there is some speculation that there are people might get it from armadillos that live in certain parts of the United States, that they have this bacteria on them. And that's how some people may end up getting Hansen's disease. And there's all sorts of things now to help reverse this, the, the stigma of it. Um, because what is believed in the public, uh, what they think of Hansen's disease is not actually true. So it definitely bothered me that this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not all, right? Yeah, there's it, plenty. it this perpetuated is, that. This has to be the winner of offensive bingo. I mean, it's, yes. it, it offends yes. people of color. It's offensive to people of color. It's right. offensive to people with disabilities. It's offensive to people who are differently abled. It's certainly offensive to women. It's Well, I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's offensive to me on behalf of everyone. Yeah, it's you know? pretty offensive. It's so, pretty, I mean, it's also very much the gothic, you know, white guy tropes. Uh, all oh, of yeah. Them, the white guy you know, who's a together. hunter. Yeah. And he's a count. Yes, he is a hunter, by the way. That's one of the things that's sort of a little bit lost in this is that the count likes to go on hunts. You said that he was a he was a hunter. So yeah. he gets very excited when they run because he's like, yeah. well, he's like, Woo! get the dogs, Mantis. Get We're going the dogs. on a hunt. Get my gun. <laughs> Tally yeah, ho. Disgusting. Yes, now he's going like, to go hunt humans. I mean, I can, you kind of get the feeling that maybe this is not the first time. No, and when they made that comment because they said that's why he hates pirates so much yeah. is because they, they had been attacked by pirates more than once. Yeah. So he – yeah, he's having a great he's grand old time, go. just going after whoever shows up on the island. Although, like you said, like how he tells the difference between people who give him supplies and pirates is is probably a fine line. So, yeah, I don't know what their plan was because I can't imagine anyone would come near the island voluntarily without assuming they were risking their lives. Um, and it, I guess there was some arrangement. But anyway, we some never know who's sending the food. Who? I don't know. And also, too, the count. I mean, he looked to be very healthy. But he also looked to be, I don't know, from in 1962, maybe like at least 65 years old. Yeah. So Mantis may have been the bigger problem because he was younger and in very good shape. But, I mean, at one point, the Count intimates that Cassandra has turned him down, has refused his sexual advances. But I'm kind of like... You couldn't stab him in the night, you know, like, come on now. And, and that was it was an interesting point because there's definitely a very mini power struggle between men over a woman. Yeah. Essentially is what this turns into. And it, it, it's sort of throw, a throwaway kind of comment. But you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's surprising how much this reminds us of Bloody Pit of Horror. Um, because there's lots of parallels, right? That you have the same thing. You have the actor who has this past relationship with one of the people who come upon his castle. He has a dungeon. He's he's in you know doing tortures, but it's the same kind of thing. There's this sort of undercurrent of sexual jealousy 
um, going on that you don't even know. Like, it's just not clear from the beginning. And it, it sort of triggers all this violence later. So it's right. just interesting how these films all seem to tread the same territory. Right, right. Yeah, which is maybe not surprising. Alan, your hair. Alan, must have been horrible. I came very close to becoming a permanent occupant of this dungeon, Cassandra. Let's move on to the big question. Is it a horror movie or something else? Do I get to go first? Yeah. I get to go first. Yeah, yeah um, it really wants to be. A horror movie. This really, 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 really wants to be. And and if if there's if there's such a thing as a movie having flop sweat, this this film really that <laughs> wants to be so hard. So I yeah, I would say yes. It 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 absolutely tries to be. Whether or not you know, I, we're horrified because of its lack of sensibilities to humanity and uh, how it treats people from all walks of life. It's pretty horrifying by itself. But yes, it it, it intends to be a horror, and I will take it at that face value. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. So. Uh, yeah, sure. I don't care. I hate this film. Whatever. No, I, I mean, I didn't hate it, but um, I do think it's a horror movie. I mean, it was couched that way. I don't think I would call it a thriller. I don't think I would call it a drama. It had, it was meant to be horrific. It relied on things that we have already seen many times before. So I think that for us, it was a little bit like, oh, what a shocker. Countess is in the basement, you know, I mean, and shocker, you know, the Count likes to hunt people, you know, I mean, it really wasn't anything that we haven't seen before. Maybe audiences when it came out in the 60s felt a little differently. Part of the reason why it has a lot in common with the Bloody Pit of Horror is it's just jello, the yellow um, type, that this is all part of that kind of. Uh, lurid right uh horror movie trope yeah. that was common in the 60s yeah okay so let's give this movie some ratings how are we feeling about this movie so let's talk about how many knives how many glasses of wine and how many screams we're going to give the dungeon of harrow so how many knives what was the body count how scary was it was it gory did it live up to its title? All right, Mike, what are you going to give it for Knives? I don't know. This is the first one after Bloody Pit of Horror, which spoiled us tremendously. I'm glad we started with it. But um, I do feel like this is a fairly gruesome, you know, body count. Uh, if you if you count the sailor, the people on the ship, it's, it's actually high. Just, it the goes up pretty high. high. So I, I want to give it a four on the body count. I don't think it's there's probably movies we're going to see that are worse um, but not many. So, it, it, you know, and certainly some of the way it portrays things is gross and horrible anyway. So between its insensitivity and the actual horror it's trying to portray, I, I feel it's a 3.54 knife. 3.5 or 4? You got to come down on more. All right, fine. 4. 4. All right. I'm, I'm going to give it a 3. We saw all of the deaths, except for the people that presumably drowned that were on the ship. But... We saw everybody die. We saw it happen. So it wasn't, except for poor Anne. Although we did see her being tortured. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it definitely earned, it earned a few knives. There were six deaths on plus, screen. Plus the ship. Yeah. Plus everybody that died on the ship. So yeah. All right. From zero to five 
glasses of wine, the wine representing how fun it was to watch and did it have any unique moments in it. So how many glasses of wine would you give it, Mike? I don't know, man. So on the one <laughs> hand, like it tried really hard. Yeah. Um, and I, appre- I both appreciate that and also admire the sheer willpower to make a film out of not much. Yeah. Um, it's just not a very good film. Yeah. So I think I was – it's always like, well, am I talking about for everybody else? Where I was entertained in the sense that it was interesting because we're looking at these things. And some of it you just can't look away, right? I don't want to say I endorse it. The film's kind of yeah. awful. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like it It did entertain more than some of the – there's been some real clunkers, you know, that were kind of a snooze fest. And the, it's – no, there's all kinds of horrible things happening on screen. So it's a two and a half. Mm-hmm. 2.5. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think I'm going to give it a two, and I'm going to give it two glasses of wine, and that's because I do appreciate what they tried to do, but it was exceptionally misguided. I guess Hansen's disease, it, it had it like that was the whole point of the movie. It kind of revolved around that, and and gave us the ending. But still, it was like, you know, that's not, I I don't know, you're just, you're just perpetuating a thing that's not even, that's not even true. And like, couldn't you have made something up? Like, that's my thing. Like, couldn't you just made up some kind of condition that doesn't even exist? Like, why did you have to pick something that actually happens to people and is devastating and isn't even transmitted and doesn't occur in the way that you depicted it? Like, that pisses me off, so... All right. Oh, I can't wait for your five-star rating. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So how many screams are we going to give this movie overall from between zero and five screams? What do you think, Mike? I'm a little harsher here, right? So I feel like the body count, I'm willing to give it. I think the entertainment value, at least from a macabre, like what in the world have they put on the screen? Um, But it's, it's not a good film. (laughs) <laughs> it's not yeah. a good film. I'm yeah. sorry. It's just not. So it, it's it's probably one and a half. One and a half. Yeah. I think I think we have to give it a one. Again, I can appreciate things like the costuming. You know, somebody put that together and the sets. Somebody, somebody placed all those fake cobwebs, you know. Somebody built that little boat, that little model boat. The little model castle was really cute, actually. Very cute. And it had a little light in it or something. I don't know. <laughs> it, light. it did. Yeah, it was really cute. But um, they did wrong by so many different facets of society with this movie. And it was not necessary at all. I believe that you can make a horror movie and have a twist ending and not include all of these untrue and harmful stigmas and stereotypes. All right, let's move on to the character that you have created, Mike, that goes along with this movie that is available to play in Roll Top. Roll Top? Hello. That's a new game. (laughs) The character that you have created that is available for people in their tabletop role-playing games. 
I can maybe, I think I might have two guesses as to who you chose to base the character on, but why don't you tell me who it is? Yeah, and if I'm going to guess, you probably thought maybe the Countess was one of them. I did. Yeah, no, I didn't use the Countess. I actually, did you think it was the Count? Either the Count or the Countess. Not him. No. Nice. No. Nice. Plot twist. Plot twist. I actually used the manifestation of his insanity as a fiend who has the same name. But that's okay. So it's sort of, I'm cheating. It is, it's technically sort of the thing that represents the count. But essentially, this being who uh, spreads disease and insanity and looks to replace every couple. His, his whole goal is to get couples trapped in the island in, in this perpetual cycle of death and, and madness. Uh, it's very gothic. And he can summon, you know, rubbery bats and spiders and snakes. Uh, except you know this is role playing game, Are they so real, they're, they're real. Yeah, yeah, okay. they're real All and they're right. giant, of course. Um, but the same concept. So yeah, he's this sort of shape shifting um, kind of devil type figure who tempts you with uh, with power, but also ultimately leads you to to death. And what's the character's name? Oh, he's the Count Assad. Absolutely, you can't. He, he you can't is. That's, that's such a good name. You can't give that up. I, I, I know, right? Okay, so what are his stats? What are the things that he is good at that bear out in his stats? Yeah, so not surprisingly, his charisma is high. He's this is a, a this is probably the first fiend we've had in the series. Um, so he's a little bit extra dimensional. So not all the rules apply. He can sort of be invisible. You never know where he is. He's meant to really be the kind that influences you from behind the scenes. So he's a he's a sweet talker, depending on who you are and how amenable you are to his what he's he's offering but uh he's definitely uh, a bad guy who's meant to not really be seen at first right he's much more meant to essentially influence people like the count who are driven to do torture and other horrible things Mm. so are you envisioning that somebody may use this as it could be an influence on an a, a different npc or even maybe someone that's in the party a player character Totally. It's always hard to get players to sort of succumb to these things, but there are some uh, powers he has to essentially tempt them. Um, but yeah, for sure, probably an NPC who, who this is the the villain behind the villain, right? And uh, I think, it, it, honestly, <laughs> that acting was probably the highlight of the film. So I felt like that character deserved a little bit more screen time. And, and certainly in the game, he is the primary antagonist. I feel like I have played with a few people who would agree to be possessed taken over whatever you want to call it by a fiend like this Mm -hmm. and then just wreak havoc on the party so maybe some people would enjoy incorporating incorporating that into the game in that way yeah don't get mad at me though if that happens (laughs) no (laughs) no but you know what though it can add a different element it's certainly something that you see a lot in storytelling where a character who who is close to you and who may even be beloved is acted upon by an outside force and it causes them to behave in ways that they normally wouldn't. And then, of course, it's still that person's body. Right. So you don't want to damage them, kill them, hurt them, but you have to find a way to deal with it. And 
separate them from the the thing that is harming them. So it can it can bring out a lot of different things, I think, in a party and can make for some really compelling storytelling if you can get one of your characters to agree to it. But if you have somebody who is kind of a little unhinged and likes to do the role playing, um, which I feel like in every game that you and I there's have always played, somebody. there's always somebody yeah. you know, who's willing to do that. So I think that could be something fun. The Dungeon of Harrow is taking place on an island surrounded by a sea, an ocean. I like I don't even know what it is. But I imagine that this character does not need to be held to that type of a geographic location. So where might this character be used? Yeah, so I mean, obviously the character himself can be where any any nobility on decline declining nobility anyone and any one of those situations can be so if they're in the crumbling castle somewhere uh that'll work too but this character actually i did set it up around the island so um he can actually cause shipwrecks so uh the idea is that the whole place is cursed right so essentially there's this kind of circle of decay that it starts with before you even get to the island and then when you're there it gets even worse so uh, it is like a curse for wherever he appears, and uh, it, it can lead to people essentially being either shipwrecked or stranded in some way, shape, or form, so they can't escape. And that's that's part of the appeal of this kind of villain. All right, so where can folks find this character so that they can download it and they can incorporate it into their tabletop role-playing experience? He'll be on uh, patreon.com slash Talion, T-A-L-I-E-N, uh, for free, <laughs> so that we're always uh, we're going to be releasing each one of the villains there. Uh, for anybody to use there's actually going to be a lot more detail about minions and other stuff and including equipment and some of their powers in a supplement that we're going to release as well uh, which will be on drive through rpg and that is 5e foes gothic villains which is compatible with 5e rpg gothic adventures and they go together um and, and frankly deal with madness and all kinds of gothic themes. And this uh, guy, he, basically the Count decide will fit right in. So um, he'll, be, he'll be in good company. All right. It sounds like he can fit into a lot of different scenarios. So pretty versatile in terms of what you want to do. And an enterprising DM could really uh, cause some fun havoc with this guy. All right. So there really wasn't any taglines that I could find for this film. There wasn't anything on any of the posters, at least not in English. Some of the posters had Alfred Hitchcock's name on them, which I don't understand that at all. Um, I don't know why they were invoking his name. Could never quite figure that out. If anyone knows, I'd love to hear why. Uh, but I came up with a couple of hilarious taglines of our own. Uh, one of them, these are both from the film. The first one that I have is the count is never wrong. Maybe that's something that the character could say. The yeah. count is never wrong. <laughs> and the other one, which this was terrible. And this is why it stood out to me so strongly. Frigid Cassandra has taken a lover. <laughs> <laughs> that sums it up. That account actually says that. Uh, yeah, so I had to make a note of it. <laughs> All right, so that'll do it for episode 11, The Dungeon of Harrow. Uh, I gave myself a generous pour of wine to get through <laughs> the recording of this episode because this movie was 
so gross from beginning. <laughs> you could you to could end. almost say it was harrowing. It was harrowing. Absolutely. All right. Thank you to my co-host Mike for being here and for helping me make my way through this film and the associated <laughs> ratings. And uh, we will see you next time on 50 Date Night Screams. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to 50 Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the 50 Date Night Screams episodes at betrayon.com slash Italian. Until next time, don't stop screaming. 50 Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca. You're already burping. Yeah. Uh, talk about horror movies, yeah. I think you're so funny. <laughs>